Remember when they started putting warning stickers on records? We're reminiscing about the PMRC and its legacy, plus some songs that they missed that did far more damage. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Anne Murray. And this week in Woo, Twin Flames. It's embarrassing. history lesson for the kids well things and... come up sometimes and we realize that not everybody <laughs> is as old as us and they don't uh, remember yeah. <laughs> and you know yeah and also a, a nostalgia lesson you know a nostalgia trip for you know people of our age <laughs> oh god yeah it's it's probably going to be way more fun for people our age but we'll see <laughs> yeah and it was actually i had a a personal encounter with what we're going to talk about recently because I was going down a nostalgia trip and I listened to the manimal. Oh, wasps manimal? On the live wasp album. Oh, yes. Where Blackie Lawless talks about the PMRC. (laughs) (laughs) Which if you don't know, it stands for Parents Music Resource Center. Which I, it's, you know, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember. I remembered it was parents' music, but I couldn't remember RC. And it's like, really? That's really what they went with? Because I didn't remember that. I thought it was. I know, and that just seems so benign and just so stupid, you know. It's like parents' music (laughs) record censorship is what I was thinking, you know. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, and what it was. Did it, did it really, let me just ask real quick. Because the timing of it, was it related to the satanic panic of the 80s? Because it feels like it was. Or was it just the general, oh my God, everything's going to damage the children? I think it was, I don't know if it was related to it per se, but it was definitely part of it and that, that it was the symptom of the times. Because it was video games are going to kill, are going to warp the children. Music is warping the children. I think it yeah, was all of that. Yeah, it was that. like video games and music and movies and, uh, and, you know, the whole satanic panic thing where everything was like satanic cults that we didn't know about it. I mean, it was... We didn't know about because they didn't fucking exist. It was just the times. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just the times. and uh, Yeah, yeah. So the thing about Wasp, before we get into it, you know, Wasp was a big target of the PMRC. Yeah. Which was, basically was a group that wanted to expose all the evils and indecency in music. Right. Right. Because heaven forbid anything not be Pat Boone. Oh, yeah. Although even Pat Boone did a heavy metal album back then. I know. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and it was and, pretty um, awesome. I actually liked it. but. <laughs> and it seems like Wasp was like number one on their list because of their Fuck Like a Beast song. Which is so weird because it, it's like the only thing that made them famous. Because it's the only thing that made them famous. They yeah. were not popular. They never were. They never got to be popular. Yeah. 
And I guarantee you three quarters of their album sales was because the PMRC made such a big stink out of them. Absolutely. My God. Because they were like, they were guar. They were like a cult band. Right. I, yeah, they were I, I so over before, the yeah. top and so stupid and so mediocre that uh, they, there was a cult following. There was no way they were going to become popular. <laughs> and it was, and they were kind of like, in terms of like their live shows, I mean, my God, we could probably do a whole episode just about how ridiculous Wasp was. But, and God, I remember the first time that Pitney saw This Is Spinal Tap, he was dying because so much of like the ridiculousness of Spinal Tap stage show reminded him of Wasp. Like the oh, big, that was real, the big yeah. skull and all that kind of nonsense. But like you'd have someone like Alice Cooper who was very inventive and imaginative and talented and came up with really creative theatrical things. You have something like Kiss that came up with a way of making everything very big and explosive and whatever. And then you have Wasp, who wants to do that, but they're stupid. And, and they, were, so, they really are looking back. They were just really fucking nasty. They, yeah, they, they were just trying to come up with, well, what would be shocking? What would, yeah, be, what they, would be gross? Because I remember their original stage show, they sang this song, Tormentor, which I love the song, Tormentor. Oh, it's fabulous. Because it's so stupid, but... Well, they all are. <laughs> the stage show part of it really freaked me out because... Blackie Lawless simulates rape with a knife cod piece as the stage show. And didn't they actually have like a a woman on a like a rack? They have a woman on a torture rack with a hood and Blackie Lawless rapes her with a knife and blood goes all over the place. Oh god damn it. They're so stupid. And another like several years later, another one of their live shows is they would put a, a live pig on like a hoist thing and kill a live pig with a chainsaw on stage. Oh, I don't think I knew about that. Oh which my is God. Really fucking vile. That's so gross. And it's all because they're just, I mean, the weird thing is that they had just enough talent, like just enough, but really they were so out of their minds in the early days, just trying to get attention that they would, they would do shit like that. I mean, they, Oh God, didn't they throw meat into the audience? He would like, yeah, he would like get these big slabs of meat and then cut them into pieces with the saw on his cod piece and then throw live meat, raw meat into the audience, which (sighs) I'm surprised they even allowed it. They would not allow that now. So unsanitary. (laughs) And didn't he like drink a lid, like blood out of a skull? Oh, yeah, he drank that out of the skull, and oh, yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, so they were pretty vile, and I understand, but it was like, they were so not mainstream popular. They weren't injuring any children, because no one ever heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. But pretty much everything else that they did go after was mainstream. Sure. Yeah. But before we get into that, I just got to say, this is just a funny little thing. So the thing about... You know, Blackie Lawless hated the PMRC and hated the Washington Wives, which is the group of women that started it, right? Right, right. But, like, on their live album, he does this thing about the PMRC, and they, you know, and he's all, he acts all offended, and they say, you know, that WASP stands for We Are Sexual Perverts. And he says it all bent out of shape. But right. the fact of the matter is, in the original printing 
of their first album, a, around the label, there's an etching that has W-A-S-P, and it says, you know, in big letters, it says, we are sexual perverts. On the vinyl record? And they did oh that God. as a joke, and then he gets all offended because they're calling Wasp that, but they that right. is on the album as a joke. Right, which I'm sure they did to get attention. And yeah. I'm, and it's totally inspired by the people who thought that Kiss stood for Knights and Satan's Service, which it never did. Yeah. But... I'm sure that they were just trying to be cool. Oh, oh yeah. And I remember also like the Christians at the time were saying that Wasp stood for we are Satan's people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually kind of cute. Yeah. But anyway, anyway. Up I'm, with Satan's people. <laughs> enough about Wasp. But anyway, so this was this is group and they had like these, you know, these press conferences and they would go on talk shows, you know, warning parents about the evils of popular music and right. how children shouldn't be listening to it. And it was just so stupid. Now, I, I only remember Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, Tipper. Yeah, that was, she was I, like the big one. But I know one. there were other ones and they were wives of politicians, weren't they? Yeah. That's why they were the wives. Okay. Yeah, and it started off with four, and I like I, I'm actually reading what the names of the other ones were because I don't even know what are their last names. Maybe I'll Tipper Gore, of course, Susan Baker, who was the wife of the Treasury Secretary. Oh, James, was it James Baker? Yeah. Okay. Pam Hauer, H O W A R, and God. Sally Nevius. Nevius. Oh, I have no idea. So wow. it was like, yeah, anyone that only ever heard anybody was Tipper Gore. Yeah. That, but interestingly enough, the only, they were responsible for, you know how every album that we buy now has the parental advisory sticker on it, the little black and white sticker that's on CDs and stuff? Yeah. That started because of them. Absolutely. That's totally what that is. So that lasted. So that's kind of funny, but it was kind of funny that they had a, uh, you know, this thing called the Filthy 15. <laughs> and it was like the 15 most vile popular songs of the day that you needed to, like, have your children avoid. Right, right. You know, and like, two, you know, there's some of them are like one of them where two of them are a song by Merciful Fate. Oh, please. And a song by Venom. And I mean, how not mainstream is that? And how the fuck did they even know about these? And nobody but the hardcores of like the stoner kids would listen to Merciful Fate and Venom anyway. Oh my God. Give me a break. Oh my God. You know. But they they were kind of... Now, I'm t see, it's so... Part of my brain just combines the satanic panic bullshit. Were they against madonna too or was that just the satanic panic people like all the like oh, a virgin oh no the they were against madonna too right because she was so filthy because it was you know lasciviousness right <laughs> i mean but and actually madonna one of her songs is on the filthy 15 is it papa don't preach i'm just guessing no it's dress you up <laughs> wait what yeah, the song Dress You Up by Madonna. I am running through the lyrics in my head. Because I can't it, imagine why. 
Um, it's good. I'm going to dress you up in my love all over your body from your head down to your toes. But, you know, but the verses of that song are actually, you know, you've got style. That's what all the, and it's more about, right. it is seriously about dressing. Right. Like you have to and be then a the dress filthy you up animal. And my love is just sort of a play on that. It's the least sexual thing that she'd ever did. I was going to say, it's like right up there with like holiday it's like i don't get it like you have to be seriously taking taking it to that level in order to hear it that way like if, oh, if, you, yeah. if what you're thinking is she's smearing her pussy juice all over you because that's the only thing i can think that they're Which, so assuming it's totally it is totally not what that song is saying no of course not but it was oh funny. And then one of the one of the other songs that this always got they really hated we're not going to take it by twisted sister because according to them, it oh, incites yes. violence. Oh, and that's why D. Snyder had to testify before Congress, isn't it? Yeah, and he did a long, in fact, it is on YouTube. It's pretty fabulous. He, I think he talked for 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know he did. And and Frank Zappa did, too. Yeah. But I think he really scared him because he showed up in a suit. I don't think D. showed up in a suit. No, I think, he, he I think he's in, in a his, sleeveless tee. His regular clothes, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, he didn't have, you know, he wasn't wearing any makeup or anything, I don't think, that day. But no, it's definitely no. worth watching those. Oh, and wait a minute. Didn't John Denver testify? Or was that for something else? I remember John Denver testifying. But oh, I, I don't know. But, hey, they could have gone after him, too, because, you know, allegedly... Rocky Mountain High, Rocky baby. Rocky Mountain High is about drugs, even though it's not. But he would be a good example of someone who would just think it was stupid. Like, he he wasn't being harmed by it, and that although no one was actually harmed by it. Mm -mm. But he wasn't being harmed by it. But he could still stand up for it because it's bullshit. Oh my god! <laughs> so you know, but it's so, but it's so funny. The filthy fifteen is so because it's so basically a big hit list at the time, right? You know, darling, Nikki by Prince, Sugar Walls by Sheena Easton, well, sure, Strap On, Robbie Baby by Vanity. What? The, but um, yeah, but okay, like clearly. We know who Vanity is. We all do. But these yes. songs weren't like, they were maybe club hits, but like little, yeah. they weren't on the radio. Darling Nikki wasn't on the radio. No. And most, you know, it's because, and of course it's about sex. It's like, all, they get, like all the music, all the hits in the 70s were about sex, for God's sakes. It's not like that was new. It's just that they're upset about it right now. And therefore the songs that are right now are the songs that are the bad ones. The songs they liked when they were teenagers don't count. The songs oh, yeah, that they're you upset know, about Tipper now. Tipper Gore probably fucked Al Gore on the desk while Afternoon Delight was playing. <laughs> but because that was her era and right. it wasn't, you know, that filthy Satan music. Right. <laughs> it was different, you know. And speaking as someone <laughs> who was a very innocent child, I didn't know, I didn't know things were filthy. I had no idea because oh, when you're a child, you just don't know. And then you look back on it later and go, oh, holy shit. 
Oh, Holy I know. Shit, I remember like oh, singing all those songs to all those Kiss records when I was like ten years old. No clue. I still, I it's a, it's still one of the proudest things for me was that because you made me into a Kiss fan in my twenties, uh, and that. As soon as I heard Nothing to Lose, I knew it was about talking your chick into butt stuff. And I casually mentioned it one day, and you were like, what? Oh, I had <laughs> no idea that that song that was song- about that until I listened to it. And I was like, oh, yes, it is. It is so about talking her into anal sex. It is totally about butt stuff. But that's part of why it's great. <laughs> <laughs> But don't feel bad. You're not the only person I had to point that out to. Because all of you that listened to them as little children, of course you wouldn't know. You know, because it was like, I know he sings about, you know, the back door. But I thought it was a reference to, like, he didn't want to be with her anymore, so he's sending her out the back door, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Or, like, you know, like if you're sneaking around with someone. Yeah. I mean, there's old, old songs from, like, the 20s about, like, backdoor man kind of stuff. Yeah, and but I the didn't idea, it really is about the backdoor. Right. Like, overtly, <laughs> it's about, well, I'm sneaking around, so he has to come see her. He has to come in through the back door so people don't see him. But covertly, it was about butt stuff. <laughs> because, of course, it was. Everything was ridiculous yeah. then. Everything. <laughs> but like, now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could just be reacting because I didn't know of Two Live Crew until Tipper Gore made damn sure I knew of Two Live Crew. Mm-hmm. But Two Live Crew was totally destined to just be like, really, really filthy and really appreciated by a small group of people. But my God, they were, they were huge. I mean, there was a period where two life crew was a constant conversation in this country. Oh yeah. And the thing is they would have never existed outside of their music being played in dance clubs. Sure. Had it not been for the PMRC. And they suck. They really suck. They, I mean, they sucked in the most fabulous way. You I mean, know. because because they were so over the top. What was the song about about um, having a sink to wash your dick? What was that oh, song? Oh, the fuck shop. The fuck shop. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, and it's come basically on. like you know a song about fucking in a porno theater, right? But they're but they're but they're classy enough to to have a sink available to wash your dick off. You know, and they have they have a song Which about you know Goldilocks fucking the three bears <laughs> in rap. Of course, I it mean is. they're they're stupid. Oh my god, they were so. And of course, their big hit was me me so horny. But I I still you know what? I'll still listen to that. Why oh, not? Oh, that's a good song. It's fucking great. <laughs> but one of my favorite things about. Two Life Crew is that because they were 
being discussed so much. And because it was, and it was well into the nineties. I mean, this, this thing was like late eighties, early nineties, probably yeah. to maybe 95, 96. I think maybe. it died in the mid nineties. Yeah. It just says before shutting down mid to late nineties. Well, that sounds says. about right. Yeah. Because the thing was that when I was renting that house on Riverside, we were just down the street from a club that at the time it was called club XS and it was, it's one of those places. There's several of them in the Austin area that the joke is that they were built on an Indian burial ground because no business could ever survive there. Like, you know, it, that, that place has been every possible thing you can imagine. But when it was club XS, there was news footage. Like every time someone talked about, Two Life Crew, there was footage of people like protesting in front of a club where Two Life Crew was playing, and it was Club Excess, which was right down the street from my house. Oh, how fabulous! And that is that is one of my favorite. I cannot think of Two Life Crew without thinking of oh, Club Excess. What a what a toilet that place must have been. I know, and I remember. <laughs> I I don't like so the. When I saw Kiss in 83 or 82, no, I guess that was right before PMRC. But when I saw them again, I remember on the Crazy Nights tour in 87, there were people with signs outside. (laughs) Nights in Satan's service, you know, like protesting the Kiss concert in Fresno. (laughs) Oh, God. And the thing is... Kiss had for the whole three thousand people that were in that fifteen thousand person auditorium. (laughs) Exactly, because there are tons of people who remember Kiss taking their makeup off and as as they released the Lick It Up album, and and they think Kiss didn't exist again until the reunion tour in ninety seven. And so they were nobody. I mean, like Kiss fans cared, and the rest of the world did not know they were still doing it, except that little there was little attention being given them by by people who could have just minded their own goddamn business. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, what a crazy yeah, it was a crazy time. Oh. Uh, and times, it just remembers I know I mentioned this before, but it just well, you know, like Motley Crue, I'm sure they went after Motley Crue, although Motley Crue never like went after them, right? Oh, I think they were having too much fun. Uh, you know, but you know, Motley Crue was raunchy and nasty, but all but music were. back then was raunchy and nasty. It was the time of 80s hair metal. I and mean, my God, music, it was fabulous. When you think about it, half the music in the 70s was raunchy and nasty. Sure. You know, and it's funny, and I think it's interesting because in the 90s, when it ended, raunchy and nasty really was not popular anymore right because all music became emotional and angsty or sappy lovey dovey bubble gum right raunchy and raunchy and nasty didn't really happen in the 90s right i mean it's it's back now i mean it's been back for maybe like the last 10 years maybe but there was a there was a period there where raunchy and nasty was really not the thing you know but it's funny now that i think about it because i'm trying to think of all the because i listened to a lot more music of that time period than I think that you did or I, that you do. Of the seventies, you mean? No, no, oh. the nineties in the two thousand. Oh yeah. Because I stopped listening to anything that was current pretty much, unless it was 
on the radio when I was working in places that played the radio. But it's interesting. That's why I didn't know who Radiohead was for 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, not like I'm an expert on music of that era, but the bands that I like that I've listened to a lot of their stuff, Alice in Chains, Bush, Hole. Yeah. Obviously Linkin Park, although they didn't come until 2000. Right. But all of their albums... There's not one song about sex on those any of that any of those. Which is weird because you'd think bands na- with names like Bush or Hole would have some filthy shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's really really funny. It's like yeah, it was like it just it, that just stopped being a topic of music. You know, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think because I mean, other than you know club hits or whatever, and that's but like but that's totally even Madonna different. stopped being sexually provocative at that time. That's because true. it wasn't fashionable anymore. Everybody was talking about other things. Well, and it's true because like the people who had been previously raunchy, the older you get, the less. Well, I mean, I'll you know. It did take Gene Simmons a while to realize maybe he shouldn't sing Christine 16 anymore, but well, there, but yeah. it does happen. It does happen. You know, eventually you get to an age where you're like, you know what? I have children now and maybe it's not appropriate yeah. <laughs> for me to sing songs like this. But, but, the, but even the younger people coming up were kind of, and it could, well, you know, there is that kind of thing where everyone rebels against their parents. So if your parents were into the raunchy shit, maybe that's why you're into the Christian pop. Yeah, but you know, parents, <laughs> as far as music goes, parents need to shut the fuck up. Because they know that what they listen because to. Because no matter what it was, what they were listening to when they were young was provocative at the time. And that's why they liked it. And they just need to shut the fuck up. And I remember, I don't remember who it was. It was somebody, like, I don't even know. But I remember having this conversation with somebody that I knew. And she was all offended because her daughter had a poster of Kurt Cobain in her bedroom. Uh And she made her daughter take the poster down. But then she thought about it. And realized that she was being hypocritical and gave, had a talk with her daughter and gave the daughter the poster back. That's kind of shocking and good parenting. With the reasoning being, she was like, well, I remember that I had posters of Jim Morrison on my wall. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I was upset because I didn't want my daughter having a poster of some dead junkie. But then I realized that I had posters of Jim Morrison, so I'm being hypocritical and stupid. So I gave that poster back to my daughter. And I thought that is because that's so true. Like even my mom, like really being into Frank Sinatra in the fifties. Sure. That was provocative that was scandalous the the reason the bobby Soxers were screaming and the reason why like the girls screaming for the beatles and shit it's like it was because they were so fucking repressed that all that sexual energy came out in screaming and fainting and remember like yeah. every they are all bent out of shape because elvis would shake his pelvis and you look at it now and you're like really that's that's making people crazy <laughs> yeah oh god so you know parents need to shut the fuck up true basically Oh, yeah. 
you know, <laughs> while while people are looking at, say, you know, the heavy metal <laughs> or the rap or whatever, while people are looking, are pointing fingers at the dangerous, the truth is that some of the most innocuous, milquetoast shit, the, the most romantic, lovely, gentle music that we grew up on truly is what fucking warped our brains. Oh, yeah. Because romantic music, if you actually pay attention to the lyrics... And it's the same for, you know, movies and whatever. It's all, it's all bullshit. It's all unrealistic bullshit. But there, um, but music in particular, because it goes into like poetic flowery language that, and because they're singing it, you're just hearing it as a song and you're not realizing they're saying words that are going into a kid's brain. We were taught some really warped shit by some really goody two shoes music. <laughs> and because because we knew we were going to talk about PMRC, we decided that we would pull out some songs that are particularly bad. Yeah. I I'll just start, you know, Dolly Parton is a goddamn saint, and I love her. And I know. I'm I'm horrible. I'm horrible for suggesting that Dolly Parton would ever sing something that would be harmful to anyone. <laughs> but I will point out that she did not write this song. And and because I it's just it's something that kind of popped into my head recently because I've kind of been on a Dolly kick. And just the timing of hearing this song within recent months, I think that's the reason why it clicked. Here you come again. The song that made her an even bigger star because it put put her on the pop charts and yeah. all of a sudden she became like Dolly Parton. So it's pretty basic, but it's also pretty harmful if you pay attention to it. And it's like, let, you know, and I'll just say that for me personally, it definitely speaks to the shit that I've had to deal with because let me just quickly just to just to set a scene just to make yeah. sure that people understand what I'm when I'm talking about the lyrics why I'm hearing it the way I'm hearing it so if you you know I, I feel like I bring this up every other episode but I, I I swear we'll get to a point where I won't have to talk about it all the time but you know I I recently escaped from an abusive relationship that was not a romantic relationship it was only a friendship but because there was some flirtation, in that friendship, which was part of what made it so fun, mm-hmm. songs that skew in a romantic direction can still have lyrics that are appropriate, you know? So I'll just set a scene that we can insert this song into. So a year ago, a little over a year ago, I hadn't, he, he hadn't spoken to me in a year because he was, you know, abusing me and he was letting me have, he was teaching me a lesson and whatever. And, um, I I know what I say. (laughs) I know it's so, it's so weird how, how obvious it all is in retrospect. I had been so positive for months that I was never going to see him again. I was never going to talk to him again. 
and it was totally over and I had totally made peace with it. Like to the point where I, I went through a period where I chose to think of him as dead. Like I killed him off in my brain so I could stop being so angry all the time. And then through just sort of, you know, the way life works, suddenly we're the world put us back together again. And then here you come again. Just when I've begun to get myself together, you waltz right in the door, just like you've done before and wrap my heart around your little finger. Yeah. Here you come again. Just when I'm about to make it work without you, you look into my eyes and lie those pretty lies. And pretty soon I'm wondering how I came to doubt you. How the fuck is this even remotely healthy? Oh, it's not at all. Yeah. And there's a lot of songs like that. Oh, yeah. All you got to do, smile that smile, and there go all my defenses. Leave it up to you in a little while. You're messing up my mind. They actually say messing up my mind. You know? And then, of course, here you come again, looking better than a body has a right to. I mean, that <laughs> I lo- that's my favorite line. That is truly my favorite line. But it's like... All you have to do is just walk in here and everything you've done to me just goes away because, oh, you're so cute. Yeah. And, oh, look, you're back. And, oh, you're, you're being nice to me right now. So I suddenly the fact that you got so furious with me that you didn't speak to me for a year doesn't matter because you're back. Oh, my God. And I, you know, I don't I don't want to blame you know, I can't blame just this song, but a lifetime of this kind of music could not have prepared me better to be the victim of abuse. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> it's like a subtle, and I know it can be argued that sort of thing. It's just like, well, you know, it's just relatable and the real world and what people go through. And yeah, that's true. It's very relatable. It's because so many relationships but, are unhealthy. Yeah, but it's because <laughs> it's like there's so much that we're bombarded with of these unhealthy like relationship norms in right. music and movies and stuff that that's what we think is normal and right. And it's like American society is geared towards unhealthy relationships. Right. Like we're, we're you know, we're told... I should hate your guts the first time I meet you, and then you should wear me down until I finally give in to you, and that's romantic. Oh, it's that's like, the plot of every Hallmark movie. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's like, if if I hate you, if, if I don't like you right off the bat, that should be a pretty goddamn strong indication that we should not be together. You know, people don't listen to their instincts. People listen to bullshit. You know, and it's like, I think we'd all do a lot better if we didn't do what music and movies told us to do. Yeah, and I think there's an insidious thing of, like, uh, women need to learn their place. Mm. And it's it, it's it's always illustrated in romantic songs sung by women. And it's really gross. Right, because if a man was telling a woman that, people would notice it, I think. Yeah. But if a woman is saying, oh, I just need to sit down and shut up and speak when spoken to, then people are like, well, she's just being reasonable. You know, <laughs> yeah. But that, that brings me to mine. Yes. Which is 
you know, which is one of our favorite songs because it's so stupid. <gasps> but that hideous, I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Yes! Oh my God, I love the song! <laughs> and I love it too because it makes me laugh. Hey, lady. <laughs> but it really is, I know you're unhappy. I know you're miserable. I know your husband's an asshole. And your life is miserable because you have this kid you didn't want. Right. And your life was so fabulous when you were free and an artist. And, but wait, you think you were happy, but you weren't really happy because what's making you happy is the man that you're unhappy with and the child that feels like a burden because that's life. That's love. Right. I mean, they literally say that. They literally say it. It is basically she was an artist and she was a performer and she had a fabulous life and she was so happy, but oh no, I wasn't really happy. Right. And the real insidious, nasty thing about that song, if you think about it on like a spiritual level, I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. To me. That sounds really enlightened. It does. But when you look at the song, it's like, when she was visiting her right, and she was happy, that was wrong. She had never really been to her until she gave up her freedom and her happiness. Into the chains of marriage. Yes. For this bad marriage and this kid that she never wanted. Oh, yeah. Because it totally, that's yeah. life. That's love. That's life. That's love, man. <laughs> so fucking gross. You know, it's like the marriage and the biological act of birthing a baby. God damn it. That's the end all be all of a woman's existence. Right. That's what that song says. And it's almost like she wasted her life having experiences and being independent and seeing the world and having her little love affairs or whatever. Yeah having great sex all over the world. Yeah, but oh my God, but that was unhealthy because now. Because baby, because I'm a mommy now. She's learned her place. And you're so right about the title. Like it really does sound very enlightened because paradise, you know, implying that paradise is like an external, you know, I, I was seeking all this external stuff, but I never, I never thought about who I was and that paradise is in me and I, you know, and it's like, and to, and to some extent there's no place like home, but, but it's still like, you know, that she, she's not being introspective. She's acting like she's being introspective, but she's really just convincing herself that the bullshit she settled for is good. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess, I mean, this isn't so, and I just remember like, Kind of in the same vein as having my baby. And we love that. We, we sing that song as a duet all the time. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I heard that song. Oddly enough, the first time I heard it was in my fifth grade classroom. Really? When we were doing some sort of like art or something and the teacher had the radio on. Right. And I just remember laughing my ass off over that song. Because I was young and it was like, oh, having a baby, ha, ha, ha. And I didn't realize, like, you know, the the thing of it. But it's also like, it is, I mean, I guess it's romantic. 
And I guess it's the love. I mean, for a song that that alludes to abortion, it's pretty romantic. Uh, yes, and I guess it's. <laughs> but I don't know. To me, it's just gross. It's really it's creepy. I mean, it's granted it definitely is reflection of reality in a lot of things, but it's it's making it like I knocked you up. I mean, like these are two people who had absolutely no intention of having a baby. I mean, that is the story. Oh, yeah. And it's like, let's get married because I got you pregnant and let's pretend that we're in love because of this thing inside you. Yeah. You know, didn't have to keep it. Wouldn't put you through it. Could have swept it from my life, but you wouldn't do it. And it's really funny that it's like that you're having my baby. I'm a woman in love and I love what's Yeah, it's not like me. we're having a baby, we're having our baby. You're having my baby. That's right. Oh, aren't you beautiful because you're having my baby? Yeah, because I got, yeah. The seed inside you. I can see it growing. Yeah, the whole thing is just so gross. It's, it's so just gross. so gross. It's so gross. And yet, it's so awesome. It's just, I don't know. And maybe maybe it really did just was written with really romantic intentions, but... It was kind of shocking, I think, at the time. It just seems desperate, and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I bet it was as uh, revolutionary a song as when Loretta Lynn did The Pill. I bet, it's, I bet it was right around that level. Oh, yeah. Because, oh my God, I can't believe someone's singing about extramarital sex or premarital sex. Oh, I know, sex. but oh my God, but you know, yeah, it's almost like, is that song a reaction to it? Because you better, you know, you better keep it. We better stay together because, right. you know, this dime a dozen accidental thing that happened is also important and special. Right. Give me a break. Like, yeah, this, be this beautiful romantic song is the result of I didn't pull out fast enough. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you read books? Do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife? Is that geese shit? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you have found a home here at the Brook Reading Podcast. Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online, talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, Check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. Let's step into some animal feces together. <laughs> anyway, what's your next one? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay, so oh this one's this one's this one's big. This is a this is a big song. Uh, and, it, and, and the sad thing is this is one of the ones that falls into um, the I love to sing this category because it's, you know, I'm a I'm a big in the car kind of singer. I'm a big shower singer. You know, I sing really loud and really well when no one's around. You know, it's very rare <laughs> that someone actually hears me sing. Oh, me too. Me too. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then when, and then on rare, rare occasions when someone actually does hear me sing and they're like shocked. Like they didn't know I could sing. And I'm like, well, when was I ever going to sing in front of you? You know, right. 
But um, from the Broadway musical Dream Girls, <laughs> the classic, and I am telling you I'm not going, which... If you're listening to this podcast, you pretty much have to know this song <laughs> because either you're old enough that you saw Jennifer Holiday do it on the Tonys and it blew your wig off or or you saw the Dream Girls movie and Jennifer Hudson was like amazing or any of a thousand drag queens lip syncing it with like everything they have. <laughs> you know. But the thing the thing about this song, and I, you know, not everyone knows the story behind the song. I mean, the song itself is already, you know, a little problematic, as the kids would say. But if you know what this song is in the story and what's happening that makes her sing this, it becomes even weirder. Because the, what people want you to believe is that Effie is standing in her power when she sings this song, when she belts this song out and she's declaring her love for Curtis, you know, and she's so devoted to him. But the thing is that man is a fucking bastard. I mean, my God, like he treats Effie like fucking dirt. Like he cheats on her. He's a backstabbing piece of shit. He kicks her out of her own group and replaces her with some other bitch that he's fucking. He, and he, at this stage, he is going to leave her. He has, he is going to leave her. And instead of saying, you know what? Fine, motherfucker, go. Which would have actually been a powerful thing. Yeah. What she does is stand there and scream that he can't leave her because she loves him. Oh, of course. And this is what, I mean, this song is almost universally held up as like this woman power thing. Like, this is what a strong woman is. And this Mm -hmm. is, you know, but it's like, this is why women fight so hard to stay with a man who's treating them like shit. Or why a woman... You know, I hate to go back to Dolly Parton for a second, but you get a song like Jolene where it's like, wait, if your man is cheating on you with Jolene, why are you talking to Jolene? Yeah. It's not Jolene's fault that your man is cheating on you or that he's into her. It's like, no, you fucking deal with your own shit, you know? But anyway, but like, I am telling you I'm not going. Okay. What's weird about that is he just said he was going and her response is that, well, I'm not going. It's like, okay, well, that's not, if you're, if it's, I'm telling you, you're not going. I mean that, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't you know, sound it's as a, powerful. It's like, it's a celebration of codependency. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You know, she, okay. She's telling you she's not going. You're the best man I'll ever know. Is he, is he Effie? <laughs> yeah. There's no way I can ever go. Well, there is, though, because you could just leave. No, 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 no way. No, 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 no way I'm living without you. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not living without you. I don't want to be free. It's like, okay, really? (laughs) You should, though. You should want to be free from him because he's treated you like shit the whole time. You know? And, you know, I'm staying, I'm staying, and you, and you, you're going to love me. It's like, oh, fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. (laughs) 
It's like, oh my god, it's uh, one you know, of the and worst. I've been, I've been through that relationship. <laughs> right. And you think back and you're like, why was I... Every time it's like the it's almost like the worse a relationship is, the harder we cling to it. Oh yeah, because I that just reminds me of Jr. Oh, he God. was like, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go, and I was like, but I love you, mm-hmm. and I know you love me, even though he didn't, and I know you want to be with me, even though he didn't. Right. And we're soulmates and we're meant to be together even though we weren't. Mm-hmm. But I was clinging on to this and I would not let it fucking go. Oh, yeah. And it's bad enough when it's just regular abusive and like, in, like say, in the case of the abusive relationship that I had where he keeps acting like, well, I'm just going to stop talking to you. But then when I finally say, you know what, you're right, let's not talk. Then all of a sudden I'm the asshole and he can't believe that I have the nerve to suggest that maybe we shouldn't talk anymore. But if he had his way, I'd still be there. Oh, yeah. You know, he wasn't trying to get rid of me, but he sure was sort of acting like he wanted me to go. (laughs) Anyway. so much dysfunction in music as far as relationships go because relationships are dysfunctional (laughs) yeah and if and if a relationship there's very few songs that are about functioning happy relationships because they're not exciting and there's no drama but like i i tend to be drawn to like you know you get a song there's um like the Indigo Girls have a song, and the the name of it is escaping me right now. But it's basically, I mean, I mean, imagine, you know, oh, okay, well, you know, lesbians are talking about let's go away for the weekend and let's go camping, and they're just like, you know, it's so nice, you know, you pick me up from work and you've got the the weekend bag packed and we're gonna go off, you know, we're just gonna go away for the weekend, and it it's like nothing happens in this song, and it's really really sweet, but. That song really stands out because how many songs like that have you ever yeah, heard? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And of my course, repertoire of them is very limited, but I do like them a lot. Well, it's <laughs> like my that was what I think it was one of the things early on that made me realize that oh, my husband is like a really unusual, unique kind of guy because he was like a huge Indigo Girls fan. I know. <laughs> like his he leans very strongly towards movies about women music by women stories written by women like you know he hit all of his best friends or women mm-hmm. it's like that's a pretty good sign <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, oh gosh yeah that he kind of isn't gonna be an asshole because he actually yeah. really thinks women are amazing and that doesn't happen very often ladies we yeah know that. and that and that and he <laughs> loves me <laughs> Of course. Which I know was a prerequisite at the time. <laughs> of course it was. I had I always had a standing rule that it was like I would make it I would make it pretty clear to any guy who came along. It's like you better if you don't like my friends, you're go- you're not going to uh, last. Cuz I'm not giving up them. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, anyway. But my other song <laughs> is on the opposite side of that. If like we've talked about women singing about, you know, going back to horrible men. Mm-hmm. 
and being in bad relationships and bad marriages and being unhealthy, but all that matters is to be with that man. That's right. right? That man, you have no identity if you don't have that man. That's right. And maybe those songs would not have to be written so so many people can relate to them if men weren't such assholes. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna let my silence indicate my agreement. <laughs> so the song that I'm going to talk about, and the only reason I'm including it in this is because this is a song I remember from when I was a kid, and I really, really liked it, but I forgot about it for years and years and years until I had heard somebody sing it at the Kerrville Folk Festival. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, that is a really, really good song. And at the time, you know, it was like, you know, I'd been drinking and I'd probably smoked a little pot. And I was like, I danced my ass off during this song because it was like, Somebody on the main stage did like a 10 minute version of like this three minute song from the 70s, right? Oh, wow. Okay. And I was just dancing my ass off because it's a really, really good song. And I went to go listen to it afterwards. And I was like, oh, this song is really morally bankrupt. <laughs> oh, that bad. So, okay. what it is, is Love the One You're With by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, my God. I love that song. I, I love that song. I have I've never given that song that much thought though, and I'm I'm fascinated by revisiting it right now mentally. So let's. But if let's you go. listen to the lyrics, you know if you're down and confused yeah. and you don't remember who you're talking to, concentration slips away because your baby is so far away. Oh. You know, and I think it's, you know, it's being on the road, you're partying, you're fucked up, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I can see but that. But what it really, really goes down to is, like, your wife is so far away, and there's some whore right now backstage that wants to fuck you, so don't worry about your wife and fuck that whore. I think That right. is what that song is about. I think you're right. I used to think of it in terms of like that unrequited love kind of thing where like that kind of idea of the one you really love isn't the one you're with right now. Kind of like the way the whole genre of romance is I'm married to someone, but the person I love is over there out on the moors. Or yeah. Whatever. See, that's it. The first listen, the chorus makes you think that. Right. But with the verses, it's totally... The verses may... Oh, my God, you're so right. You know, and it's like, there's a girl right next to you, and she's just waiting for something, for something to, to do. do. Oh, my God! <laughs> and yeah. the fist in gloves. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I mean, I love that song. Oh it's a fabulous God. song. It's so and I good. I probably will listen to it and dance around my room later. Oh, I know. God but damn it. But if you it. listen to it lyrically, it's like, oh, this song is totally about committing adultery. And <laughs> Oh, my God. Wow. You know, but it's also, but that, that like pretty much sums up the whole... 70s rock hippie thing too because I'm sorry the sexual revolution was not about women it was about men fucking as many women as they could and convincing well and and granted I mean there is a certain amount of hey women you can have sex and not feel guilty but it starts the beginning of it is we need to convince women that they need to be slutty yeah yeah and it's and if you look at, and if you think about it, you know, 
being where we are right now and you're a person of this time and not that time, it doesn't seem like that. But if you were, if you were back then, if you were someone who was born in 1945, you were not born to be a slut, (laughs) you know, unless you were, you know, the town whore that, you know, is like in every like Frank Capra movie or whatever, you know, but, Oh Lord. But yeah, but when I really listened to it, I was like, Oh, that's, this song, so that's what this song is about. I mean, it's a still a great song. It's a great party song, you know. Right. And the, impor- the important thing is, you know, Tipper Gore loves that song. Uh, that is exactly yes. Yes. Tipper Gore and all her little friends, they wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare say that Crosby, Stills and Nash ever did anything bad. And they would not put a sticker on any one of their albums. Oh, I know, because... They're fucking you know, Crosby, yeah. Stills, and Nash. I mean, Judy Blue Eyes, come on. I mean, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but anyway, that's, wow. like, that's like... Oh, my God. Mind blown. Breathe deeply, deeply the year of woo. So, this week in woo... I'm covering a topic I've kind of wanted to do all year, but it was too embarrassing. Like, I didn't want to admit that I knew all about it because I had gotten like tits deep into it. But I came to a realization recently that makes it actually very easy for me to explain because now I really am an outsider looking at it. And that thing is called the Twin Flame. Perhaps you've heard of Plato's Symposium, or you might know it as the song The Origin of Love from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. The basic idea is that the humans that are walking around today are the halves of what humans used to be, with four legs and four arms, etc. And when the gods separated us, tore us in half, we became lonely and and spent our lives searching for, you know, the other half of our soul. It's a lovely notion. Well, if you put that into the world of the woo-woo, we've got souls that have been split up and are floating around in the world, reincarnating over and over into different people who may or may not find each other in each incarnation. And if you do find the other half of your soul, it's fucking magic. And they even go so far as to say that it doesn't have to be a physical relationship because you can have a soulmate who is your great love, but also have this other person out there who carries the other half of your sad little soul and you love them too because they are you. And there's all this extra shit, like if you look at the clock and it says 1111, it means an angel's telling you something or whatever. But Really, the fun part is this totally self-centered notion of how, of course, the time that we're living in is the time when the Earth is ascending its vibration and all the star seeds, remember them, and the archangels and the Atlanteans and whatnot are all going to take us into this new age of the planet. And of course, that also means that more and more people are finding their twin flames every day and that their love energy is healing the earth and helping to raise the frequency of the blah, blah, blah. 
I mean, it sounds nice. And it sounds like it wouldn't be harmful. But let me tell you what happened to me. So y'all know I got out of an abusive relationship earlier this year. And as soon as I realized this shit is toxic, I walked away. And before that moment, I had no idea how fucked up it was. Back in 2019, I had spent a year of him not speaking to me, and that made what would have been a normal depression a lot worse. And a few months into that agonizing separation, I kept feeling this pull towards him, like I was trying to come to terms with him being gone, but it always felt like he was there, like somehow he surrounded me mentally. He was in my head all the time. And it was unlike anything I'd ever felt before. And like it hurt worse than my mother dying the year before, you know? And I kept thinking there must be something out there that could explain to me what this feeling was. And when you don't know you're in an abusive relationship, you don't go to Google and search for abuse. You search for things like yearning and strong connection. And when I dove into the internet, the first and most prominent thing that came up was twin flames. Tons and tons of it out there. And as soon as I read about it, it was as if they wrote it just for me. I swear, they were describing everything that I was feeling. And what was worse? Everything that I imagined he was feeling. It explained why I felt the way I did, and it assured me that it was normal with these special deep soul connection relationships like ours. They said that it was common to have this runner-chaser dynamic, and it was important to just wait for the runner to come back, and he would come back, and that he was just overwhelmed. Because just like I'm feeling all this strong emotion, so is he. And he's scared of it. So he ran. But soon he'll realize that he loves me and needs me and he'll run right back. And the divine masculine and the divine feminine will be in union and the planet will rejoice. And see how I'm saying he will come back? Even though they always say it could be either the masculine or the feminine, once they've made that little disclaimer, it is he is the runner and she is the chaser because they fucking know that it's the woman Googling, why does my heart hurt? Sitting there being treated like shit and waiting on some man to realize he loves me. Just like all these fucking love songs we're talking about this week. Now, here are the stages of a, quote, twin flame relationship, you know, all these sites are going to say, this is what happens and this is how to tell that you are in a twin flame relationship. Meeting them hits you hard with like a really strong attraction. And it's good for a bit. And then challenges emerge. Okay, now this all feels kind of normal. And then the test where one of you gets pissed off and leaves, and the other is left feeling insecure. Uh Uh-huh. And then the chase, which is that you run after them and they run farther away. And then the surrender, where you give in to it. And coming home, 
the happily ever after, the big reward for your obedience and giving yourself over to this cosmic crap idea. Now, how do they know? How do they nail it like they do? Well, first of all, because you ain't Googling, why am I so happy? You're seeking answers because you're miserable. And they're describing a very common relationship pattern, an abusive one. It's all intense and hot and lovey-dovey for a while. And then things get a little tense, but it's still okay. And then he gets mad and leaves because he's being dominant and showing her who's boss. She's cowering and pining and waiting for him to come back because no, no, there's no way she's living without him. And why is she feeling this pull for him? Is it a psychic connection? Or is it trauma bonding? Is she just deeply connected on a soul level to this guy who is actively demonstrating he doesn't want to be with her? Or has she been conditioned to cater to his every whim and do everything in her power to keep him from getting angry no matter what? Is he scared of emotions? Or is he a person without empathy who can't handle grown-up situations, so he stomps off like a petulant child until he's good and ready to come back and pretend to be sorry? And y'all know me. I don't fall in for this stuff easily. But I was hurting so bad, and it offered me an explanation, and a, you're not crazy, and I really needed that. The stuff you find out there on Twin Flames reads like a cosmic romance novel version of a terrible, emotionally abusive relationship. Only when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. And it is telling women that the man who walked out on her and left her crying and alone really does love her and she needs to be patient no matter what because he is her cosmic lover and the health of the planet is depending on her to surrender so they can come into union. I mean, there are so many layers to this birthday cake of bullshit. It's a lovely thought. It is. Finding your other half that person who's a perfect mirror in which to see yourself, it's damn poetic. Unhealthy, but poetic. And when you add this cosmic hoo-ha on top of it, you put all this pressure on vulnerable people to make it work. Because if this is my twin and we don't come into union, I'm not raising the frequency of the Earth's magnetic field like I'm supposed to. And even if you don't go all the way in for that raising the frequency stuff, you're still hung up on the idea that this is the one. And him being an asshole is just proof that he's your twin. So you better surrender. And anyone telling someone to stay in a shitty relationship for some bullshit woo-woo reason? Well, they can fuck all the way off. Okay. Oh, this song. In in a lot of ways, partly because of who it's by and the time period and everything, this may be sort of the ultimate example because it is a song that I guarantee you 
you've heard a million times and you never, ever, ever realize this. But it took me hearing it at exactly the right point in my life to realize how fucking dangerous this song is. And that song is You Needed Me by Anne Murray. Now, I hear you all out there. I hear you. How dare you, Amelia? <laughs> How dare you besmirch the name of beloved Canadian songstress and well-known high school gym teacher, Anne Murray. I know. <laughs> I know. And this song, I mean, it was huge. I even went back and checked because my memory, now granted, this was, I was an AM radio baby, you know, that, that shit is my jam, you know, mm-hmm. that is the music, a, a big part of my, you know, if, if it was on the radio, whatever radio station my mother was listening to in the car, that's the music I was raised on. I mean, that's the way most of us were. And it was, I mean, not only was it a number one hit, I mean, she got a Grammy for it, you know, and she claimed, I even, when I was looking it up, I, I found out this, that she knew it was going to be a hit because she claims that she broke down in tears the first time she tried to sing it. Uh, okay. And my God, woman, perhaps that could have told you something. <laughs> Because I can't imagine getting emotional about this song. So I, I'm willing to bet that she had some shit in her background that made her react so strongly to this. Because, oh my God, you guys. And it really, it is a good example of a song that's utterly innocuous. It's just so sweet and romantic and lovely. But is it, though? Is it? Is it? I submit... Your honor. (laughs) (laughs) Your honor. That it's not only not sweet and romantic, but it describes perfectly in great detail the story of an abusive protagonist declaring their so-called love for their codependent victim who has a definite rescuer complex. That's why I understand it so Mm -hmm. much, you see. So here we go. I cried a tear. You wiped it dry. I was confused. You cleared my mind. I sold my soul. You bought it back for me and held me up and gave me dignity. Somehow you needed me. Now let me stop here a second. And I have this song into my in my head. You need totally me. Totally you do. <laughs> totally. I mean, just think about just that verse. I mean, the whole song is this, but we'll just... I am a fucking mess and you keep fixing my shit, giving me all this dignity and shit. And, and then I have the nerve to say, you needed me. The, you needed me is really the kicker of this song. So, okay, moving on, keeping that in mind, we'll move ahead. You gave me strength to stand alone again, to face the world out on my own again. You put me high upon a pedestal so high that I could almost see eternity. (laughs) you needed me and I can't believe it's you. I can't believe it's true. I needed you and you were there and I'll never leave. Why should I leave? I'd be a fool. Cause I finally found someone who really cares. And aren't I lucky that you're so fucking damaged that you don't even realize that your entire existence is spent taking care of me mm-hmm. because I'm such a goddamn mess. And yep. I demand that of you. You held my hand when it was cold When I was lost, you took me home. 
You gave me hope when I was at the end and turned my lies back into truth again. You even called me friend. You know that line really got to me. Uh, Doesn't that sound exactly like me? You know, I'm a loser. I'm an asshole. I'm the one who fucks up over and over and over. And there you are behind me with your little broom cleaning up all my mess. Uh, you know, and I, you know, this song, it came out when I was like nine, you know, and and that Anne Murray kind of thing, and her and that song in particular was just like a constant loop. I mean, no, I know, I remember it. Yeah, don't I can even totally, get, I can hear every word when you're yes. reading it of her singing. Oh yeah, and do, I mean, like, don't even get me started on the fact that it, it was sort of like the theme song of Kelly and Morgan on the Guiding Light that one summer, and it was never fucking stopped. It was constantly played, and. I probably have heard that song 10,000 times. Oh, God. Oh, oh me too. I don't think that that's <laughs> an exaggeration. And yet, I didn't realize there was even possibly anything weird about it until I was 50. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know is, can I sue her? Can I, can I sue Anne Murray? Because I think, really, she should be paying for my therapy. <laughs> I, re I really, really think that she is responsible in part for how fucked up I am. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not being silent because I mean, I'm not being attention. I'm silent because it's like, I'm thinking about that song. Because you're hearing it. You're, it's just, it's just playing. And you gave me strength. Oh yeah. And it's just like, I'm so horrible. And it's like, this whole thing of needing to be needed is right. really fundamentally unhealthy because it's not, I needed you. That's the thing that kills yeah. me. It's not, I'm such a mess. I needed you. It's I'm such a mess. You needed me. Yeah. It is yeah. so fucked up. I can't even, I know. Yeah. I can't think of a song. A lot of things. <laughs> I mean, this song, you know, however many months ago that it just popped into my head and became an earworm one day. And I was just like, what the fuck? And I, and I went and I pulled up the lyrics cause I hadn't heard it in a bit. And I just read them and I went, God damn it. And mm -hmm. I, it pisses me off. And yet I'll just walk around the house singing it. Cause it's pretty. Yeah. God damn it. That's how they get you though. That's how they fucking yeah. get you. And yet Tipper Gore, where the fuck was the sticker on the Anne Murray albums, Tipper Gore? She warped a generation. Heaven forbid you should celebrate sex and partying and having a good time. Right. When music should be all about codependence in women in the woman's place. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Oh my god. Oh. The, the, I mean, seriously, the songs we talked about have done far more damage than an entire generation of kids growing up playing Grand Theft Auto. I know. <laughs> because that shit doesn't cause anything real. But the shit, us having to grow up listening to this music in the 70s, how the hell were any of us going to turn out okay? I know. We were flat out told that this was goals. Well, it's such a product of the time. And it was like all that sappy music was such a rebellion against the rock and roll. Yeah. You know, and the rock and roll was all like those songs about like, you know, 
fucking and partying and cheating on your wife and blah, 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 blah. And then you have the opposite side of the spectrum that was trying to hold up this 50s ideal of what society should be. Which is that's totally what it was in the minds of the people that were writing it at the time. Right. Either whether they're yeah. aware of it or not. It's like, because the 50s are great, but not the 50s that's dangerous. The 50s that's nice where there are no black people. Oh, yeah. That and that's 50s. totally what, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And they need to make it, you know, oh, you know, sweet, like, so, like it was, like it was. It's that whole <laughs> father-daughter dance bullshit. Any song that's appropriate for a daddy-daughter dance is automatically suspect. Oh. Uh. for listening. If you enjoy our show, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you send us a screenshot of your review, we'll send you a Bitchin' Boutique sticker. Everyone Everyone loves loves stickers! Please subscribe or add us to your favorites wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribers get new episodes first and are also more attractive. Drop us a line anytime at pitneyandamelia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Yeah, and basically... That song is the vocal equivalent of giving Jerry Falwell a blowjob. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs>